Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. $115. That's how much a standing room only ticket went for in St. Louis for the Cardinals series with the Cubs. A sign of the level of interest in Major League Baseball playoffs this year. Another, television network TBS says it has effectively sold out of advertising revenue for its coverage. Executive Vice President Ad Sales and Marketing John Diament said, We've never been sold out quicker. He projected the TBS postseason MLB revenue will be up 10% from last year, a significant increase with endemic categories like auto, insurance, telecom, QSR, casual dining, and financial services leading the way. Meanwhile, Fox said it was looking to finish 10 to 15% ahead of last season's MLB sales. Media buyers said that the average unit cost of a 30-second in-game spot on the network is around $545,000, and that number's up significantly from last year's price. Value obviously increases as the World Series awaits. $1.53 billion. That's the potential annual take for the English Premier League for overseas TV rights. The EPL reportedly close to signing a three-year deal. It would give the league an additional billion dollars over the duration of the contract. That's more than competitor leagues in places like Italy, Spain, and Germany make for all of their TV deals. The EPL already makes more than $1 billion from deals at home with Sky and BT Sport, a number expected to soar. The NHL has new competition from an unlikely source, women. The National Women's Hockey League now playing its inaugural season. It consists of four teams, the Boston Pride, Buffalo Buttes, New York Riveters, and Connecticut Whale. The opening game sold out, a great start for the league. The league set to play an 18-game schedule with one game a week stretching into late February. The four founding cities were chosen primarily on membership numbers for young female players in USA Hockey. And while the average salary for players is expected to be 15000 with a minimum salary of 10000 NWHL Commissioner Danny Ryland calls those figures a first step and say that obviously the big goal is to make this a full-time job in coming years. But for the time being, the league has been designed and scheduled to allow players to work other jobs during the season. Now to the Daytona International Speedway and President Joey Chitwood. The interview recorded by the folks at Daytona. So Joey Chidwood, with the thrill show since five years old, this is a different kind of thrill show though, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> you know, I'm just proud of the fact that I've been in motorsports for my career and had a chance to spend 20 years of my life on the road with my family business. That business went from 1943 to 1998, and so I got to spend 20 years as a stuntman. So I know how to drive cars on two wheels and jump cars and wreck cars. But now for the last 20 plus years, give or take, I've been on the management side, and so think about the opportunities with Chicagoland Speedway, Indianapolis North Speedway, but really the biggest project to date, Daytona Rise and the $400 million reinvestment. Lucky that I get to be part of that. The team is really doing a great job, and we're going to remake the fan experience at a racing event. It's pretty special. And in all seriousness, even though you jumped through rings of fire in your early days, your diversity of management and working all ends of this probably prepares you pretty well from what you're doing now, right? I would say from an early age, my grandfather, my dad, it was about hard work, it was understanding what results meant, 
And at the end of the day, you got to work hard. I mean, that's what it is. And so in the racing business, we work weekends, we work late. And when you think about what we're doing at Daytona, so many fans are passionate about what we do. Uh, this is an important property. It, it's where all of the, the history has been created, the heritage, the legends. And so fans care. And whether it's building the Daytona Rising Project, changing the schedule, you name it, fans react and respond. We want to make sure we're respectful of that, but also we need to chart a plan for the future. I think we've done a good job of balancing both. The beauty is you've got this great racetrack and its location yeah. didn't change, but we're just rebuilding all the amenities that go with it. So you're mixing new with history to create Daytona Rising. So I think we really found a great balance in the middle. And we'll talk about some of those specifics in a minute, but as far as perception is concerned, the great unwashed, and they won't do it after February, still believes you're redoing a racetrack. You're building a motorsports stadium, a motorsports facility. Uh, talk about that. For you know, we really are. When you think about this country, uh, we are the most cluttered sports market there is. And whether it's professional, whether it's amateur, and you can look at collegiate, high school, even young children, it's amazing how many opportunities there are. But then you look at the stadiums and the experiences that people are building. I mean, there's a stadium in Atlanta being rebuilt only after 20 years. Yeah. So for us, after 50 plus years of an older facility, we really needed that refresh. And so for us, you could have easily just bolted on some escalators and fixed some bathrooms and called it a day. But that really wouldn't change the fan experience or live up to the vision of Big Bill when he created Daytona in the first place. So our goal was, how do you create something new and different, but you still pay your respects to racing? And I think that, you know, talking to our designers, understanding what's happening in the soccer world and the football world, taking those things and marrying them with motorsports, we're able to create this motorsports stadium, the first and only, with Daytona Rising. So it's definitely a balancing act. We've got to make sure we've got everybody's interests in the right place. And I think we've found a really great place. And, and look, after two plus years of construction, it's phenomenal. It looks fantastic. It is breathtaking when you drive by for the first time. And can't wait for it to open up in January. I think our fans are going to be blown away. Buy your tickets now, ladies and gentlemen. But it's a lot more than that. It's rewriting and creating some history. And the motorsports versus other sports dichotomy here. I assume you, you get the wisdom of the guys who are dealing with the Viking Stadium and the, the, uh, the new stadium for the Falcons and on and on. How, how different, uh, what are the differences and what are the similarities? Well, it's interesting because we all deal with the same thing. Yeah. It's really the consumer, it's the hospitality, it's the VIP. But we actually brought in AEG to be a consultant to help us understand what they're looking at in new uh, stadium builds and things like that. And there's a lot of similarities, what people don't realize, but then there's also some differences in how the experience is over the course of a day. One of the unique things for us, and here at Daytona, 60% of our crowd comes from outside the state of Florida. So it's not an impulse buy. So yes, I could wake up on the morning of a game and maybe drive to Jacksonville and catch a football game or drive to Orlando and catch a Magic game. You typically don't do that the morning of the Daytona 500. And so understanding this venue has to pull you off your couch. Maybe not your couch in Florida. Maybe your couch in New York or Ohio or Canada. And so understanding that was a big key component. And the Daytona 500 is our biggest event. It is our Super Bowl. More Fortune 500 companies participate in it. It's the biggest activity. We have to make sure the venue can live up to that Super Bowl-like atmosphere. And that's a, a key component versus uh, what I would consider to be normal or big sporting events versus that Super Bowl-like effect. Well, so the similarity that everybody has around every league, they've invented the word, I'm sure you just talked about, decouching. And how do you create a great product from a television perspective, the NBCs, the Foxes, and make sure that people like that but still go to the racetrack? That's, that's our challenge. Yeah. And, and the more we produce content, 
the more we give fans an opportunity to sit at home and enjoy it. And so whether it's the second screen, you name it. But for us, I think at the end of the day, this venue is so unique now with these 11 football field-sized neighborhoods, with 40 escalators, great sight lines. It's truly something you cannot get through any screen wherever you are. So I think we've done a good job of understanding that. Now, having said that, Fox and NBC do such a great job with the broadcast and the in-car audio and, and all the cameras, there's always that, that push-pull. But I think our fans realize that over the course of the season, you've got to attend some live races. And now with the new stadium really on the verge of opening, I can't imagine that Daytona isn't in the top one, two, three positions on that list. And I think we've made the right investment to get there. But now hopefully there are things we can learn from this venue and look at our other 11 racetracks yeah. and understand what other enhancements and improvements we can come up with. But there's always that balancing act of TV, stay at home, and attend live. And, and I will tell you, NASCAR is so visceral. The roar of the engines, uh, the flyovers, all those elements that go into it, it's pretty special when you attend a live sporting event. You mentioned the balancing act of innovation versus tradition a couple of times. And there are certain bedrock assumptions that go into any facility, any entertainment spectator facility. Got 101,500 21-inch seats, which is really good for us. What are some of the other fan amenities that you're concentrating on? Well, the number one thing our fans told us was vertical transportation. In our business, the best seat in the house is the top row. Yeah, right. And no one wants to climb those stairs up or down anymore. So 40 escalators, 17 elevators. We're going to get you up and down this property a lot easier. Three different concourse levels. So we've got all of the amenities close to wherever you're sitting. We've got these 11 football field-sized neighborhoods where you can stay connected. Wi-Fi enabled, you can tweet, update, post your status, you name it. You can enjoy the social side of our business when you're at this live sporting event. And I will tell you, and I think most would agree, that we attend social events that yeah. include sports nowadays. And if you don't have a good social plan, then you're not living up to the fans' expectation. And then for us, I think the seats and the comfort and the sightline. It's a two and a half mile racetrack, and so to elevate everything so fans can see the whole racetrack, I think that's a big deal as well. I think we've really nailed it on all of us. And of course, fans can still bring a cooler in. That is unique to our sport. Yeah, We're not changing that. But again, that's the balancing act of respecting uh, our history and our heritage, but balancing out with the new things that fans expect. I think we've done a really good job. Now, I have no doubt we'll hear from our fans afterwards about yeah, some things right. we can do better, but I think in terms of the plan, the original concept, I think we're very close to where we thought we'd be. Let's talk about corporations, 60 suites for the day-to-day, -day, but also these five injectors, we're here at one now. It's the commitments of corporations that allow them to activate in a way probably never seen before. Talk about that. Yeah, it's true. When you think about Daytona International Speedway in our name, and having been around for 50 plus yeah. years, I don't want to be the person to ever recommend that we change that name. Right. You'd never put a corporate name in front of Daytona. So we wanted to create a platform in which we could have founding partners that take ownership in a slice of Daytona. And so these injectors, the massive gates that you use to kind of load the stadium with our fans, are sponsored by some great partners, Toyota, Chevrolet, Florida Hospital, Sunoco, right. and Daytona. And so these injectors, the massive gates that you use to kind of load the stadium with our fans, are sponsored by some great partners, Toyota, Chevrolet, Florida Hospital, Sunoco, right. and it's a chance for them to really own a piece of Daytona and really excited because you've got some endemic sponsors growing their footprint in our sport. So it shows us they're enjoying their relationship in NASCAR. They want a bigger slice of that pie or uh, a Florida Hospital who comes in who hasn't been a partner of NASCAR wants to actually get in on the motorsport side. So I think it's a great way. It's a great way to really load the stadium with our fans, but to provide our sponsors a, a, a chance to really come as close to owning a piece of Daytona as, as we can come up with. Retail, 
one Daytona, that's over there, this is over here, how do they relate? Well, for us, they're going to be complimentary. When you think about a sports stadium, the amount of tourists that we, we pull in, the sporting event, to have a retail dining entertainment uh, facility right next door, it is a no-brainer. It changes really the front door to Daytona Beach, Florida. It's pretty impressive when you think about it. You know, you take the racing aside, we're doing well over 100,000 people in tours daily just to look at the property. And so there's a lot of business here in Daytona, a lot of tourists daily. I think a sporting event, non-sporting event, it's just going to be a nice compliment to a great sports property. Sporting event, good example. It's not just a race facility. Let's talk to the extent you can about some of the other kind of stuff you want to put in here. You know, for us, we want to run every weekend we can. And you name it, we're going to do it. Whether it's car shows, whether it's uh, driving schools, we're going to be looking at some entertainment options here in the future in terms of next year's content. But if it's got wheels and it goes fast, we're going to run it. Everybody knows us for the Daytona 500. Understood. But with our sports car activities, our motorcycle activities, uh, we've run boat shows before. Uh, I think it's just a great property to enjoy. We've got some auction companies visit us and look at us as a potential venue. I think uh, really the, the opportunities are, are limitless. I mean, there's some gonna, great opportunities in the future, but uh, uh, the goal is we can see how many weekends we fill up, and I'm sure the staff won't enjoy that, but it's a great property. We want our fans to enjoy it no matter what the event is. Anything with wheels you'll run, can you talk a little bit, even if it's not committed, about the stuff that might not have wheels? Well, I think the key for us is we've got a great venue. We have a strategic relationship with AEG. Right. Obviously, they're in the entertainment business, and so they do a lot of a lot of things in the sports world, whether it's soccer, whether it's football, but also they're in the entertainment business in terms of music and concerts. So I think for us, we've got a venue now that can compete for unique events like that. That's the key. We can now compete with all the other sports stadiums out there in the country, and I would put our odds pretty good when you look at Daytona and how unique it is, how big the property is versus some of the other stadiums because I think we have some more things to offer. Let's get closer to home, you. Um, what's your daily routine like and has it changed in the last year or two? You know, we knew that this was going to be an intense project. Wow. It's the largest investment in our company's history, a lot of scrutiny. And when you're reimagining this American icon, right. but it's the icon that Big Bill France created, the patriarch of the France family. So for us, we understood that going in, but what a great opportunity to be part of something special. The team here at Daytona has raised their game. I'm not sure if you offered us the chance to operate a venue and build a venue at the same time, we would take you up on that again. It was so unique in theory, we thought, okay, in reality, that's a very tough proposition, but the team has really stepped up. And so with months to go, we're on schedule, we're on budget, and I can't wait to wave that green flag and open it up. I think uh, the team here at Daytona, they deserve a well-needed break after that. Yeah, and, and so do you. Uh, you look back at the last couple of years, what's the biggest surprise that you didn't expect? Well, I, I will tell you just the uniqueness of this property and having to operate it for a Daytona 500 while it's under construction. Yeah. And just, just if you put it in perspective, we have 100,000 seats on the front stretch. What we did this past speed weeks is we opened 40,000 new seats. So we opened up a baseball stadium while we still ran a football stadium of 60,000 seats on the other side of the stadium. So that's something that you never really thought of in terms of opening a new venue, open new, maintain old, and get people in the right direction, communicate. That I think was a really unique challenge. The team did a great job, but we learned a lot through that process that I'm not sure we realized going in. And I'm sure you seek expertise from opinion leaders of the business. The Niners with Super Bowl 50, technologically savvy, savvy Levi Stadium. There are other examples, not just your AG relationship, but everybody else you deal with. You know, we've got some great relationships in the state of Florida. Yeah. And so whether it's Tampa, Orlando, we had some of our team members in Orlando looking at some of the technology yeah. they're doing. 
got a great relationship with Mark Lamping and, and really doing some great things at Jacksonville Jaguars. Mark visited us this past year for the Rolex 24. And yep. Mark, back in his days, was an AB guy. Yeah, that's right. So he knows the, yeah. the motorsports world. Yeah. So uh, we're not shy about picking up the phone and calling and asking, can we learn what you're doing? And I will tell you, everybody's been so gracious and saying, no, here's what we're doing. If you do this, don't do this. And those are the tips that you need going into it. And uh, I'm really excited that we've learned a lot to prepare us for our opening. Can you tell right now if there's anything you would have fundamentally done differently if you had a chance to do it over? I think there's some hospitality opportunities that we created that have such a demand we might have, we might have created more of them in terms of the sightline and location. And they've done so well, ooh, we've done two rows of those. Yeah. But again, all great things. It just proves though the concept of outdoor uh, seating with the suite and the location was right on when we created it. Uh, I think the, the Ray reviews to the vertical transportation, that makes us feel good that we're getting people up and down. And, you know, anecdotally, I use my father as an example, yeah. you know, 72 years old, mm. wasn't sure if he could keep attending. He's been a ticket holder for over 30 years. We've been able to prolong his ability to attend events because now he can move up and down the property a lot easier. That was a key goal, making sure we could extend our fans' ability to attend the, the sporting events here. The, the other advantage, too, is how many total acres do you control here? Uh, hundreds and hundreds of acres. Hundreds and hundreds gives you the ability to be flexible and evolve inside and outside as you go forward. Well, one of the key things for us is it's not just what's happening inside the racetrack. Uh, this midway space outside is used for other activities and events. We have bike week coming up, and that activity is really focused on the front stretch. And so, again, uh, we find ways to use this property. We're going to be creative. And it could have wheels. It could not have wheels. Yeah. Uh, Daytona is still a great place for it. Is there a sequence now of the next four or five months, and then after opening, you've got business plans as well, but what, what, do, you want to, what, what do you want to accomplish the four or five months after the opening? Well, I think the key for us is you get through January, February, and March. You're going to learn unique things about each sporting event because they're different. Sports car, stock car, motorcycles, and then we're going to use those things to A, what can we share with other tracks, what they might be interested in, what do we need to improve and get better for our July racing yeah. event, and then is there something that was uh, so great that we have to put a plan in place for other tracks or fix if it wasn't great for next year? I think the key is understanding what, share, what we can share, what we need to fix and do better, but it'll be fan feedback. I mean, I'm really looking forward to that first survey of the fans' experience and what they thought of it. That'll give us the best intel on what we need to do. Are you a manager, a politician, a psychiatrist, a developer, a builder? What are you? This is such a unique industry, and you deal with so many different entities, whether it's your own internal structure, NASCAR is a great partner, IMSA is a partner, AMA is a partner, but then you look at the drivers and the teams, the broadcast carriers, Fox and NBC, you literally are in touch with everyone, and I think this property does so much for so many different entities, and so politician is most likely it. You've got to be a good communicator. You've got to be able to, to, to pick up the phone and get some folks on the phone, but at the end of the day, you've got to find consensus you got to find solutions in which there are true win-wins for everyone. Everyone puts so much emphasis on Daytona, starting the season and coming out of the box the right way. And so we've got to make sure our property can live up to that. And we have to work with a lot of people to make sure we can. So fill in the blank. Years from now, historians will look back at the impact of Daytona Rising and say? The France family as they did in the late 50s, did something in the in 2016, they changed the sport forever. They took a, a racetrack, and it was a great racetrack, and they turned it into the first and only motorsport stadium. Just shows you their vision and where they see the sport going. And I think the France family has done so much, but when I think about where NASCAR was in the late 50s, they were not the most popular form of motorsport in our country. And now, in 2016, creating something no one else has ever done, 
it just shows the leadership they have for this sport, and uh, I think the sport's in good hands. The Chitwood family jumps through yet another ring of fire unscathed. Thank you very much, my friend. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. The producer of the show is Alex Cohen. Audio producer, Adam Wieson. Technical assistance provided by Jamie Weber, Tanner Simpkins, and Carlos Waddick. The executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso.